Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series. You know, from previous work I'd done is that we need to lessen the anxiety, stop the criticism, you know, and with IFS, it's, okay, can you tell me more about what that part is saying to you right now? Yeah. And do you know that that's just a part of you? That's not you. That's not all of who you are. So it was this way of engaging in a conversation with myself, but very compassionately with a whole lot of curiosity. And it, it I would leave feeling um, seen and heard and witnessed versus um, like I needed to fix something. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Bo. Welcome to another episode of the Living Centered Podcast. Today, we welcome another one of our incredible on-site clinicians, Laura Ramey. Laura serves as the Executive Clinical Director for Milestones at OnSite, overseeing and leading the clinical team who serve our residential trauma program clients. Laura sat down with Miles and Lindsay and shared about her personal and professional experience with a therapeutic modality that we often employ at Milestones called Internal Family Systems. She shared how she came by it as a client through her own mental health journey and how she uses the tools she's gained in every area of her life, including her role as a mom. We're so excited for you to hear this conversation and get to know Laura a little bit more. Welcome our friend, Laura Ramey. All right, Laura Ramey. Hi. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too. I am excited about this conversation mm-hmm. for a few reasons. One, we're recording in my favorite place to record. We're at Onsite today on the campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, two... We get to introduce our audience to another one of our key leaders here at OnSite. So I love when we get an opportunity to talk to our own people because, well, one, it feels like it's it's just uh, conversational, mm-hmm. which is really fun. You get to kind of eavesdrop in on stuff that we might be talking about on a day-to-day. And three, and most importantly, is we get to talk to you. You have a unique way, I would say, of... Um, bringing a a real human element to the idea of the helping profession Mm -hmm. and particularly therapy and counseling. And, and I think for those of us that uh, are in the lane of supporting people that are navigating uh, trauma 
I think the more humanity we can bring to that conversation, you know, coupled with clinical sophistication and using the training, which you're mm-hmm. well-trained, you got all the, the letters and certifications, but more than anything, I really love the the way you show up as a human being yeah. in this space. It just has a safe and warm presence, which you don't always find. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I tell you that enough, but I love that about you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I am excited too, because uh, we have, I've talked a time or two to some of our guests about, I've alluded to parts work and mm-hmm. parts of self. I think I did it one time when I was talking interpersonally about a part of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, someone asked one time, what's that come from? And mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, inter- there's a model called IFS, Internal Family Systems, Dick Swartz, you know, created in the 80s. And, mm-hmm. But we've been wanting to do, talk to someone who's a bit of an expert on IFS because we find it to be really useful mm-hmm. as, as a modality, in, in particularly at milestones. But uh, one of the things I think that is really neat and unique about you is I think you see it. Uh, more than just a clinical modality, mm-hmm. but actually as a way of living and, and leading. And mm-hmm. I'd love to hear you say more about that. And mm-hmm. just for our listeners' sake, if you could, because I didn't do it, I didn't, I did it an injustice by just saying, here's what I know about it. If you sure, could yeah. introduce it in a brief way and say, here's what it is, Absolutely. and then lean a little bit into why you value it so much. Yes. So I actually learned about internal family systems as a client. So I was already a clinician. I'd, you know, been trained in lots of different modalities. And then a friend and colleague said, have you heard of IFS? And I needed, wanted a new therapist at the time. So I said, well, I'll just go get it as my own therapy. (laughs) And I (laughs) fell in love with it. Like Mm. it just changed my life. It felt magical. And I was determined to get trained in it. And it's one of those modalities that it really does take a lot of time to get trained, but I was determined. I mean, that's another thing about me. Once I get my mind made up on Uh something, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And I did. A part of me was determined. So I did my level one training, and then I just finished my level two training. And the reason why it is so important to me or made such a difference to me is because it was the first time that I learned a model that for me all parts were welcome. Nothing was mm. pathologized. Mm. Everything was seen as a protective behavior. Mm. And there's some kind of pain or trauma going on underneath it. And that's why we act out in certain ways or why different parts show up to protect us. You know, and so an example for me is that I lived most of my life with anxiety and, and still do. Mm. And mm-hmm. I would just shame myself for, oh gosh, here's that anxiety again. I'm being so, I'm stressing out or I'm being so anxious. And I would really beat myself up about that. And then when I started doing parts work and learned, well, my anxiety shows up to tell me something mm. that I need to know. So mm. I now think of anxiety like the light on the dashboard of my car. Mm. When it comes on, it's a part of me saying, hey, pay attention. Something's going on. You need something. And I've learned to really sink in and get curious and compassionate. Those are two of the core self-sees. One of the components of IFS is that we have this core self. And then the other parts of us show up in protection. 
uh, of our burdens. And so when I lean into my anxiety with curiosity and compassion and I learn what it needs, then I can be more grounded. Mm. I can I can really sink in and and do what I need to do to take care of that part of me. So it's just turned my life around. And and as you said, I don't just use it as a modality with my clients. I do it in every aspect of my life. Wow. As a parent, as a leader at Milestones, as a wife, wherever I am, I try to think of it as um, I'm a person with parts, you're a person with parts, right? And we're in our interactions with each other, we're going to get triggered. And so it's just, it's a very relational, loving, compassionate model that I really believe in. I love that. I love mm -hmm. the way the last descriptors you put on a relational loving model. Yes. I like the, I like the metaphor of the uh, light on the dashboard because we wouldn't see that as a threat per se. It's a tool. That's right. It's like, okay, that's telling us something. Uh, and, and you know, who doesn't value that that's when right. you learn something about something that's, uh, yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious too, about the part that you said you had a lot of energy about, uh, when I set my mind to something, mm -hmm. I go get it. And I'm yeah. determined where, yeah. where's that part come from? Um, I believe in my story, that part came from being the baby of the family, mm. you know, the youngest by about five and a half years, my sister is five and a half years older. My brother is eight years older, and my dad's a pilot. And so I was often, you know, I was beloved. But as the baby of the family, you know, it was just like, oh, Laura, right? She's she's the funny one, the sweet one. Mm. And um, I often had to like fight for my mm -hmm. my voice and my place in the family. And I'll show you how you know <laughs> I can get this done. So that part of me showed up pretty early on to, to prove my, my place. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about internal family systems, when I hear people talk about it, it's sort of, I am so curious, mm -hmm. but it induces the same kind of anxiety for me about mm -hmm. like wanting to do the work mm -hmm. with internal family systems that hearing about onsite did before I attended a program uh -huh. <laughs> where mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, I'm so curious. I want to hear exactly about what this experience has been like for you. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear about your parts and how they're showing up, but it sounds terrifying. Uh -huh. And so I was just curious because when you described it, like you went the first time and you loved it, what uh -huh. is the like, work actually look like mm -hmm. when you're sitting in that chair the first time? Mm -hmm. How is it different than like a normal cognitive behavioral therapy session mm -hmm. where people, someone's just asking you questions? Yeah. And even as you were saying that, I was like, you know what? I probably should be honest if I really think about like my very first session or my second or my third, even, yeah. I probably left there and was like, hate this. <laughs> what is she right. doing? What is happening? What, what is, is this just, revealing? What is this craziness? And I'm pretty sure I went and got ice cream or something like that, <laughs> which is a firefighter part. We were going to really get into the nitty gritty of IFS. But yeah, there were definitely parts of me in the beginning that I was like, what is going on? But the magic for me, like what started really making sense for me that I felt like was different is that no matter what was happening in my system, I could speak for it. And I was welcomed to speak for, like, if I, if I had a critical part coming up, I could speak for that. And then the therapist, the work was not like, okay, well, how do we silence this inner critic? Or how mm. do we get rid of? Or what do we need to do to fix that? And, and not that therapists would use that kind of you yeah. know, language anyway, but the, the idea, you know, from previous work I'd done is that we need to 
lessen the anxiety, stop the criticism, you know, and with IFS, it's, okay, can you tell me more about what that part is saying to you right now? Yeah. And do you know that that's just a part of you? That's not you. That's not all of who you are. So it was this way of engaging in a conversation with myself, but very compassionately with a whole lot of curiosity. And it, it, I would leave feeling um, seen and heard and witnessed versus um, like I needed to fix something. Mm. Does yeah. that help? It really helps. Yeah. And I think I think my curiosity and the anxiety both are indicators that I should lean into it. Mm-hmm. But it, I think that when I hear people talk about it, it sounds like you have to sort of suspend a little bit of like rational thought or reasoning and sort of I can tend to lean even in therapy sessions towards like wanting to have the right answer. Yes. And that when I hear people talk about internal family systems like the experiential therapy model that we use in a lot of our group workshops, mm-hmm. it sounds like, oh, I wouldn't be able to like perform at that, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. and so I think it the way that it gets to the course, it sounds really beautiful and intriguing mm-hmm. and terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And I would say you just described probably my first sessions and, and last week's session for me. <laughs> but that is a part, yeah. right? A, a part of you that wants to get it right. Yeah. And wants to do it right or the perform, you use the word perform. Yeah. So I don't know for you if that would be a performer part or a need to get it right part or whatever it is, but that's the beauty of IFS is it goes ahead and it names that part. Mm-hmm. Like once you have this part and she's welcome here, let's get to know her. Yeah. That makes sense. And we would get to know that part of you before we ever dig into any kind of a trauma because she protects mm-hmm. something in you. Really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about, why you see it to be so effective. And I know there's, uh, it's, it's actually an evidence-based mm-hmm, practice. There's absolutely. been a tremendous amount of research to support it, but why do you see it to be so effective with trauma survivors? Mm-hmm. And, and I'll flush that out a little more trauma survivors in a residential setting. Mm-hmm. Because it is so relational, as I was saying before, it's, um, so specifically with trauma survivors and their individual therapy, if we just look at that piece first, they're learning to heal these wounded places and they're doing it from a core self place. Um, so for a lot of traumatized people, you know, their trauma happened from another person or maybe it was their parents or whoever it was, there, there may have been an abuser. Um, and for some people that's not the case, but regardless what the, the root of the trauma is, they're learning to um, really engage with that part of themselves from their core self. And then the importance of the residential piece of that is in they're then doing that healing work in a group of people, which brings in the relational piece of it. We're seeing how this plays out in relationship. Um, because even though IFS looks at core self, it's it's not a belief that you only need yourself. Right. It mm. really isn't that. And, and that sometimes is misunderstood, I think, with this model is, that, oh, all you need is yourself. And if you're just core self-led, you don't need anyone else. And it's not that at all. It's that we we operate in our relationships from our core self. And when we heal that in ourselves, we see how that plays out in relationship. And we also heal in relationship Mm. with ourselves and with others. Mm. So that's why I think it's so important. How do you help people identify the core self? What's a Mm. way to 
Is there a way that you invite people into that or what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you just asked that as identify because that's a question I get a lot. Mm -hmm. And then this is where it gets a little bit woo woo. (laughs) 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 Because I have a part that's like, no, tell me very concretely how you find core self. How do you Mm -hmm. identify it? And it's that I'm asking for somebody else. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I got you. I got you. (laughs) No, It's, it's there. The idea is that your your core self is just already there, mm. and there's not any identification of it or finding it. It's and that's what I meant by it's going to get a little woo woo, but it's like that you know energetic, just loving space inside where you just feel your groundedness, your connectedness, mm. and there actually are eight core, um, eight C's of the core self that we use in IFS. And I will be really honest with you, have a part that because we're sitting here in conversation, every time I lecture on it, I'm like, oh, I'm missing two of the C's, right? Like if I'm standing up and I have to recall <laughs> the eight C's, I'm like, what are they? What are they? So I know I'm not going to be able to give them all to you right now, but curiosity and compassion are the two that I lean into the most. Hmm. But that usually helps clients kind of get a feeling of what the essence of core self is. And it really, truly, it it spans all different um, faith-based and spiritualities. That's what I think is so great about it too. So you can talk about core self, no matter what kind of um, culture or religion or anything, it just really fits all humans. Um, So it's, I really think it's very individualized. I wish I could sit here and tell you, this is how I help a client identify their core self, Mm. but it's they, as we're doing the work, it just emerges for them. Yeah. Yeah. So is the idea that we start with our core self and that then along the way, when hard things happen, we have adversity in our life, that we create these parts that come alongside our core self and then Mm -hmm. help us survive? Um, Yes. Often our parts show up in response to something that has happened. Okay. And they think, I've got to come in and protect Um, so core self is really, truly always there and these parts will show up. I, I give an example of like, um, the orchestra, the orchestra conductor is core self and all of the instruments and musicians are the parts. Mm. And so they're all welcome there. We, we want them all there. And if the orchestra conductor is leading, then they're all playing beautifully together. Mm. We're not getting rid of them. We want them there. They're protective. They're wonderful. Just like the light on the dashboard saying, hey, hey, pay attention, you know. Um, if the orchestra conductor isn't present, so if the core self is not there and all those musicians play their instruments however they want to, the music gets a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the writer can feel like I'm crazy. You're not crazy. It's just those parts don't have leadership. Each one thinks it's in charge and it's got to, you know, I've got to play louder or I'm going to play it my own way. And so the orchestra conductor comes back in and says, hey, I see you. Let me support you. That's good. And then they all start playing together again. So I don't know if that Yeah, I love that illustration. It's really helpful. Mm -hmm. Several years ago, this is going to date me a little bit, but I was pre-onsite. I had the opportunity to run a a small residential program. And one of the most difficult things we would do with clients is they would come in often from a primary program or multiple primary programs. uh, And they would have all these 
diagnoses mm-hmm. or, or labels attached to them based on the treatment plan they received. And mm-hmm. I'm struggling with this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. Some of them were actually diagnostically, st- you know, they, that a real diagnosis. Some of them were just labels they picked up. Mm-hmm. And all of them were well-intended. Mm-hmm. It was all to give them more information about themselves. But you could not find who they were beyond right, yeah. what people had told them was wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And I used to find that so difficult because I felt like we'd support people in 30, 60, 90 days and send it back out into the world. And when they get to us, you, you, they couldn't even tell you their name before they said, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, mm-hmm. I've got an eating disorder, I've got anxiety disorder, I've got this, this, mm-hmm. this. And one of the beautiful things I saw about Parks work is it helped them back out and identify who they actually were. Yes. Uh, and mm-hmm. so you mentioned uh, leadership. And I'm, I'm curious because, well, A, I talked about in the beginning when we introduced you about how you had this unique way with how you show up with your personality of humanizing and warming up mm-hmm. whoever's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And a trauma, residential trauma environment is, um, it's a unique ecosystem mm-hmm. and it can be a, a, a hard space, but such an important space to bring love, care mm-hmm. and intention into. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten it right at times and we've gotten it wrong at times. And that's the nature. Me I'm, too. <laughs> I'm understanding it's, it's the nature of, of, of holding space and running programs mm-hmm. right that like that. But when I met you one, I loved that our, our previous lives had intersected some because mm-hmm. you come from the creative space mm-hmm. and have worked in music and mm-hmm. we work with a lot with music here and mm-hmm. we connected on that. Mm-hmm. And, but I really, um, your presence, I was like, I would follow her. Hmm. I would, I would want to learn from you. You just had such a safe presence. And so I'm curious about how, what you found effective, because I'm talking about how it shows up for a, um, a residential trauma environment, which is mm-hmm. the one that you lead at Milestones. But I would say this applies for anybody everywhere right now, mm-hmm. because so many people are showing back up into the workplace with mm-hmm. significant, either primary, secondary, or vicarious mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. And leaders more than ever, I think, have needed need to be trauma-informed and mm-hmm. understand um, how to hold space effectively mm-hmm. for the people that they have influence over. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about leadership. You can. I'm mm-hmm. curious about how you might use IFS, but I'm just curious about your overall mm-hmm. experience. Yes. It's so interesting because I don't know that my leadership style fits what I would think a leader would be. I'm very slow with my processing and with my leadership. And so I think my team would even tell you I'm I'm not the type that will get real directive really quick. I listen for a long time and I really take things in and then I'll even circle back around and ask more questions and then I make a decision. <laughs> you know, so I don't know that that's always good in every situation, but I've found with my team that's helpful. Because to your point, vicarious trauma, all places are dealing with that right now, but mm-hmm. especially at Milestones, they always have. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they are working with trauma. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that um, excited me about coming into this role was supporting therapists mm-hmm. and supporting the caretakers. And so it really matters to me to listen to them as long as they need me to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know unless I really have another meeting I need to get to, I don't, I don't, you know, get to the point very quickly. I just let them talk. And, you know, I think that's maybe not what I 
would have done before I did IFS work um, or a lot of my own work. But I've just learned that really listening, really holding that space, making sure that person knows that I've seen and heard them, that even if at the end of that conversation I don't agree or I have to do make a decision that's different, they still know that I've heard them and seen them and care about them. Mm-hmm. And that's the essence of parts work as well. So listening to a part doesn't mean you agree with it, right? So if there's a part that is, um, it's an addic- addicted part, let's say it's addicted to alcohol, well, I'm not going to agree with that part and say that behavior's okay. But when I listen to that part and get to know why it's doing what it's doing, I can help. But it doesn't mean I'm going to agree all the time. And that's my leadership style as well. Like I just really lean in and listen. And sometimes I feel like the uh, drawback of that for me is I don't make decisions quickly enough Mm. as a leader at times because I spend a little more time maybe than – than is needed for making business decisions. But I will, I also just really have come to love that about myself, that I really spend time with people and getting to know them. And it matters to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can affirm you that it matters to them too. Yeah. And you're, you're, you've built an unreal team and I know you're working on building an amazing environment down there and people have responded really well. And mm-hmm. like I said, you know, we're in a more traditional helping profession, but there's a lot of different helping professions out there mm-hmm. and the shelf life for people working in spaces is usually pretty short mm-hmm. uh, because you're taking on so much yep. uh, stress and the system in some ways has never been built, I think, for people to naturally have places to offload that mm-hmm. stress. And so it has, unfortunately, the ability to to burn people out. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the word, uh, uh, Gabor Matej just wrote an article that I, that I really liked about Compassion fatigue, Mm -hmm. which we talk about a lot. We treat it here, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he would say that uh, he doesn't believe compassion fatigue is framed in the right way Mm -hmm. in that he doesn't think people who are naturally compassionate helpers Mm -hmm. for other people get tired or burned out about being compassionate for others. Mm -hmm. He says we get tired because we learn, we lose compassion for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. Mm -hmm. It's hard when often you're sitting in front of people Mm -hmm. and in some ways you're, there's, there's parts of people's stories that can feel unsolvable Mm -hmm. and yet your job is to solve it Mm -hmm. or it's not, but it's what it feels like. It's what it feels like. Yes. (laughs) And so it it can really activate Mm -hmm. that part Mm -hmm. of all of us that just wants to, to do good Mm -hmm. and and be right. And I think Mm -hmm. the most important thing we can do for um, our guest is is hear them Mm -hmm. and hold space for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the gift and beauty of what you're bringing in leadership is I also think it's why your clinicians love following you and working with you and showing up is because Mm -hmm. you are doing the same thing for them as they're doing for the guests every day. So well done. Yeah. We could all take a page out of your playbook right now. They're, they are a great team. They're amazing. Such a great team. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'd love to hear too, just practically how you make people feel seen and heard. I feel like I'm either good at that or I'm good at being constructive and like, or not approving, Uh but like how you hold both in the same space kind of practically for people where you create Mm -hmm. the room for them to feel seen and heard and Mm -hmm. give the feedback that needs to be given or tell the hard decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, gosh, that's still something 
I'm not the only one that struggles with it. (laughs) You're not alone. Like I literally have a part right now going, whoo, how do I answer that question? Because how do I do that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's like, it goes back to really is different with every person because I can get a sense of maybe what parts are coming up Uh, for them. Yeah. So like if, you know, it depends on if, if, it's one of my staff members who really wants me to just get right to it and doesn't want to spend a whole lot of time, then I'll, you know, like I want to make sure I've seen and heard them and, you know, they want the directness. And then I might have someone else who really just needs to spend some time talking and I'll ask, is that, do you need anything else around that? No, I think that's all I needed. And, you know, so I, it really, for me, is back to that relational piece of it, Uh trying to assess where where to take it from there. I really do feel, I'm very energetic. I really am. Like I can, when someone walks in my office, I feel the energy of it. Like kind of, I can um, sense their emotions and sense probably what they're about to share with yeah. me. So that can, that can be helpful and not at times. <laughs> <laughs> Have you always been that way? Like yes. as a kid, were you yes. very innate and yes. you felt people. And Absolutely. Did that direct direct you into this career? Or? It did. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely did. Because I felt it as a strength. You know, I was. you mentioned the music business, Miles. I was in the music business for years before I became a therapist. And what was happening was I would be in my office and somebody would come in and shut the door and just start talking to me about their <laughs> lives and their feelings. And I would sit and listen and hold space. And that started happening enough that I was like, I think I'm in the wrong business. I know exactly. I'm like, I'm not getting of these any of these album liner notes done, but I think I just, uh, well, you know, helped a lot helped of people. That person feel better. So, yeah. So, but I felt it long before then too. I even when I was younger, I used to say I was going to be a child psychologist. Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's always been something innate in me of just like. Well, feeling people's feelings, which that's not always a great thing. That's what I meant earlier by it. So it's a little bit of a gift and a curse, but I've learned to separate. But it's it's helpful to be able to just sense the energy and be yeah. able to read that and connect. Mm-hmm. Hey, friends. Have you seen all the new apparel we have in the Onsite Mercantile? Our team has been hard at work bringing in the coolest finds. Now is your chance to check it out and save big. We've created a special offer just for our podcast listeners to save 20% off our collection of curated emotional wellness resources, gifts, books, and apparel from the Onsite Mercantile. Head to onsiteworkshops.com slash mercantile and be sure to use the code podcast at checkout for 20% off your entire order. We've been talking about things that uh, you value and that you Mm -hmm. have um, some strengths in. But there's something that you said up front when we first, when I first met you, that you value above your career and anything you're mm-hmm. doing here, which is your family. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear a little bit about you know that piece. I think it's a it's a you know cool story, and I love hearing mm-hmm. you talk about your 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 kids and mm-hmm. I you know any insight that you might have because I think so many of us, um, me, I'm raising my hand for those of you that can't see me. Uh, <laughs> but you can hear me, are challenged uh, by parenting, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in this season. Mm 
Yes. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear mm-hmm. that, particularly as it relates to what we've been talking about. You even mm-hmm. said you, it's framed, the uh, IFS is framed how you parent. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm like, tell me more. Um, <laughs> uh, how can I do that better? Um, mm-hmm. uh, but also just the challenge mm-hmm. of trying to balance the work that we all sign up to do. Yeah. And then having a, fa- a family to take care of, which is in essence two full time gigs. It is. Yes. Thank you for remembering that because it it was. I know I had lots of questions, lots of questions in the beginning and shared a lot about my family, which goes back to you also asked, tell me about that determination. Our sons were adopted from Haiti. And that is such a long story that I'm not sure we have time for in this podcast that I could go into. Come back but, for that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole other one. Um, but that was, you know, even then that was part that part of me that's really determined. I met them doing some work in Haiti right after the earthquake in 2010, and I just knew mm. when I met them it was an immediate feeling of like, oh, I'm supposed to be their mom. How old were they at that point? At that time, the twins were seven and the oldest was 11. And my husband and I were, we'd only been married about three years. I just started my private practice. I mean, we were talking about having kids and, you know, but we weren't, we weren't at that place yet of, you know, really deciding. And then I met these three boys and it was like, kind of back to that energetic. I mean, it was just like, I just knew like that. I just knew. And, you know, you can imagine telling my husband, hey, (laughs) Met these, met these three boys in Haiti, and there are kids. You know, again, this is a long he story. He was not with you on that trip. No, he was not with me on that trip. He went back on trips. He, he did he <laughs> did meet them. But, yes, this was a four-and-a-half-year adoption process. Wow. And um, back to that determination, I, I, I've told this story so many times because I look back on it and go, oh, my gosh, what part of me was that? What was I doing? How was I not even scared? And I got in a car with three Creole-speaking men, Haitian men, and a chicken. One of them had a chicken, and I get in this because they're driving me to where to where the boys lived at the time. And you know, someone had translated for us saying, "This is where she's going. Take her here." And then I hop in this car, and I'm in it for like two hours with these strange men that I don't know and a chicken. And I was like, "What am I doing? What is? What? What am I doing here?" And it's because these are my kids. Mm. You know, I mean, I just knew, I don't always know how to explain that to people, but I'm just the type of person that I, you know, my people are my people. Mm. And, um, well, I didn't know I was going to be crying on this, but I cry a lot too. So (laughs) I see if I can rein it in to tell you the story, but, um, let it flow. My, my people are my people. And so I knew, um, when I took this job, that's why I asked so many questions because I was like, all right, I need to, I got to be able to show up for my family. And then since adopting the boys, we've had a baby girl. So we've got an almost two-year-old daughter and um, just adore her. And I've never been a mom to a toddler. You know, I've had adolescent boys because by the time they came to us, they were 11 and 15. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm starting over and I'm doing something totally brand new in my job and as a parent and um, you know I don't mind sharing I'm doing that at 42 you know it's like I had her at 40 and it was you know like oh here we go so 
to give words of wisdom kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Like I want to be, <laughs> I want to be able to see her and go, oh, here are all my words of wisdom for all the parents, for all the parents out there. And if you just do this and this and this, but I just told you I got in a car with strangers and a chicken. So <laughs> Came back I, with three sons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really have some concrete answers except that I just really believe that when you love and you trust yourself and when you you lean into who you are and what you know you're called to do, that just drives everything. Mm-hmm. It just it just drives everything, which is why I believe in that core self-concept and really leaning in and listening. So how that plays out with my kids too is I just try to really see them as they are. And ooh, there's been some bad behavior, I'll tell you that for sure. What kid, what kid doesn't, you know? Right. And yeah. so I've just really tried to think about that of like what is coming up for them right mm. now? What is that about? What's underneath that? You know, and I get curious about it. I have not done that right every time. Mm. I, I haven't. <laughs> um, and I strive to, like, it really matters to me to get to the root of that and find out what that's about. So hopefully that answers your question. I don't know that those are words of wisdom, but it's. Well, it, they are. It's mm-hmm. what I think every parent deserves to hear. Mm-hmm. It's what's helpful for me. I mean, you had me, I was, so I really want and that, and the story is so amazing. The resilience and determination it took to, mm-hmm. to bring those boys home is mm-hmm. remarkable. Mm-hmm. So I want you, I definitely want you to come back and share that whole story. We should yeah. do a whole episode on that because it's just inspiring. But yeah. when you said, I just knew that I was their mom, I was supposed to be their mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that just got me. So, yeah. but as a, as a parent, I think people ask me the question I ask you all the time. And I also get a kick out of it because they assume because I work in this space and I'm armed with all these tools to know mm-hmm. how to do that really well. Mm-hmm. And I won't deny that the tools are helpful. Mm-hmm. They are helpful. They've helped me in some mm-hmm. immeasurable ways. And yet it is a very human and very humbling process. Yep. Most humbling thing I've done. Yeah, And yep. I'm getting it wrong a lot of days and getting it right some days. Uh, but I think the most important thing that I have done for them or can do for them, and I don't do this right every day either, is literally hear them and listen to them and mm-hmm. understand them. Mm-hmm. What a, I mean, and, yeah. and that's basically yeah. what I heard you say. Yes. I don't do it perfectly, yes. but I do it and I'm determined to do it more. Yes. Yes, so exactly. You, you know, I will, the moments that I have with my two-year-old, as much as I can, I get down on her level and just look at her. You know, I mean, they talk about that and working with kids and being with kids, like get on their level. And I did that with my boys too, you know, like listen to the same music and checked out the TV they were watching and not to be checking up on them, but to know them, mm-hmm. you know, like really know them and listen. And, you know, sometimes I'd be like, mom. <laughs> Like as a therapist, like really wanting to connect. How are you feeling right now? (laughs) They were like, mom, I had the feeling chart on the refrigerator. I think I was the only one that ever chose a feeling on that every day. But (laughs) I just always really wanted to know, know Mm. them. Mm. So. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks Mm -hmm. for sharing that. Yeah. Was it like, um, I'm expecting and we'll soon be Mm -hmm. a mom, but just the challenges of trying to juggle the full-time jobs Mm -hmm. as a woman, there's like just so much expectation. I feel like uh, on us culturally yes, that we almost have to outperform Mm -hmm. in professional environments. And then 
we put so much self-induced pressure to. How yeah. has that been for you since mm. coming, even though uh, OnSite does a great job of like helping mm. us prioritize that? Yes. I think we're trying to create better boundaries around Mm-hmm. Work our work lives and our professional lives, they naturally bleed together. Yes. Yes. Onsite has been so amazing with that. You know, we have a very compassionate and caring CEO that I've had to have, you know, lots of conversations with around it. Like, oh, okay, well, I've got to leave early this day to go pick up my daughter. And then my boys were graduating high school when I started this job. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like I've been so supported in that. And to your point, there's there's still these internal messages or even messages I grew up with or in my family or the way I grew up that this is what women do and this is what men do and women take care of the babies and, you know, and, and, yeah, and that yeah. isn't really the message, you know, in our culture today. It isn't. It's but shifting, there is yeah. there is something in my story still that will just weigh on me if I haven't picked my daughter up before 5 p.m. and spent X number of time, you know, amount of minutes or hours with her, I'm just like, I'm a bad mom. Like it will just, it, that voice, that part will show up so fast. And I'm really having to, to lean in and listen and see what that's about. But it's hard. I mean, it's, I I am able to recognize I'm not a bad mom because my intentions are there. You know, I I care about it. I'm paying attention to it, but it's really forcing me to look at boundaries in my life and how I'm spending my time. And like I said before, I'd never had a toddler before. I had three adolescent boys who were a lot more, you know, they were doing their laundry and (laughs) self-sufficient. Yeah, self-sufficient. So it's like, oh, okay. Toddler. Okay. So I pick her up. She doesn't want to be in her car seat and she's screaming and then probably not liking what I made for dinner. And so it's, you know, building in more time for myself and self-care yeah. has been difficult. So I, that's been the challenge of it for sure. But it's, yeah, the trying to be all things to all people, having to shed some of that a little bit. And that's that's a challenge for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I noticed in your bio is that you like helping people walk through different seasons. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're in a different season. Mm-hmm. And so having sort of grace for yourself in that season and the things that you can do and the things you can't do. Mm -hmm. It's hard. But how with clients and seasons, I just, I think that transitions are such an interesting thing Mm -hmm. that we're kind of always going through a transition, whether we know it or not. Yes. And um, sort of live in that liminal space. Yes. How do you like coming alongside people and helping them embrace Mm -hmm. the season that they're in? Yeah. As you were saying that just now, I was thinking, so every transition and every season also involves a grieving process Mm. because something is lost, something changes. So even if it's a good change, a good transition or a happy or a positive one, there's still something being grieved. So, you know, I know a lot of people don't come to therapy to be like, oh, help me get through this transition and it's going to be happy and good and positive. Like, I need you to help me feel happy in this. I tend to lean a little more into what What are you grieving? Mm. What is it that needs to be grieved as you move into the season? And um, 
you know, even you saying you're going through your transition and, and your season, it, it, grief can just creep up on you too. I mean, even though I sit here, I'm talking about, it, I'm like, I encourage my clients to really lean yeah. into the grief. And I've been going at such a fast pace since starting this job, man, the grief hit me so hard last week. Like I saw wow. this picture of my boys when they were younger. And then I was just like, oh, they just graduated high school a few months ago. Wow. And we just moved into our new house and only one of those boys is still living with us because the mm. other ones have their own place. And I just, it wrecked me. Like I, cri- I cried and cried and cried and, and I didn't realize how much I needed to cry. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's an important part of any transition is leaning into that grief when it shows up because it's not it isn't always something that even in a session that if I said to a client well what do you need to grieve they might sit there and tell me what it is but it it might not be authentic to just grieve it right in that moment right but when it comes yeah letting that wave come and just lean in and let it be there because it's such an important part we laughed earlier because we're both, um, for fans of the Enneagram, we're both Enneagram fours, but I'm a self-preservation yes. four. So all of the feelings that Laura can vocalize are like internalized inside <laughs> of me. So I need to hang out with you all the time so they come out more. But it was helpful even just hearing you process that grief piece. Like I definitely had that this mm-hmm. weekend just in my expectant state yep. of like, I know rationally that like I'm having to make choices and things that I can't step into right now than I used to be able to. Yeah. But the feeling of it is so hard. Yes. You know, it's it's like I finally like broke down and was crying to a friend and got out a lot, a lot of stuff that I needed to say mm-hmm. and just get out. Mm-hmm. But it just is, I think that creating space to grieve is really good and really yes. hard. Yes. <laughs> for me, at least. Yes. So. And I, I would think for most people, creating yeah. a space for it because it really truly is sometimes just a a feeling that happens yeah. versus something you can really sit and cultivate. Like, okay, I'm going to sit and grieve today. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it just, it shows up. Yeah. And then it's the letting yourself lean into that moment that yeah. can be difficult. There's, um, there's such a, there's such a need right now too, because the the world in a sense is, mm-hmm. is in the midst of having over the last 18 months in, in, take away all the n- normal life events that happen mm-hmm. that uh, would be happening inside or outside of a pandemic, but then you put the pandemic on top of it. Yeah. And there's so many things that we have not been able to do mm-hmm. uh, that we haven't had space necessarily, I don't mm-hmm. think collectively to grieve. And I think when individuals don't have the opportunity to have a a natural biological experience of grief, then I think stress and emotion kind of compounds. And Mm -hmm. over time, it kind of comes out in not so favorable ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'll just say to those of you that are listening, as we kind of start to to land the plane, I know we've talked about... um, you know, identifying certain parts of self and, and, and living out of our, our core self. And, and, and then also, um, we, we've covered, uh, the importance of grief, but if you're listening out there, I would say that, and, and I want to give you an opportunity to say something to our folks too, but I would say that, uh, you, it's important often to seek professional support, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, help with some of what you're navigating, 
but we don't have to wait on that. Mm-mm. Ideally, there are people that can do that for you and you can do that for them that mm-hmm. can hear you, see mm-hmm. you, value you, not mm-hmm. try to fix you mm-hmm. and get curious to create space for you to be able mm-hmm. to grieve whatever may be happening in, in your life. And I happen to believe that's a huge part of a solution for humanity that yes. everybody deserves. Yeah. And yes. I hope we get to walk into it. You've, You've you've been awesome, like I knew mm. you would. Um, I could Thank talk for you. another hour, but I know I'm, I'm like, didn't we just start? <laughs> I know. Why I know. is the winding up? Winding <laughs> up. <laughs> but but it may, maybe you could uh, leave us with a thought for for the listener. You know, mm-hmm. I, we always love to leave them with an encur- some encouraging insight if we can. But what would be a message that you might have to mm-hmm. uh, people that are listening to our conversation mm-hmm. or just the world in general right now mm-hmm. that you'd want to leave us with. Oh, that word compassion for sure is what is resonating the most. Um, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, it it often feels easier to offer that compassion for other people and we're not always doing it for ourselves. I mean, I'm it, it, that happens for me all the time. You know, I, I'll listen to my clients, I'll listen to my kids and probably have more understanding and compassion. And then, you know, in the workspace, like we were talking about earlier, as a mom, you know, I'll be like, oh, I messed that up. Or I, you know, and I've definitely noticed in the past week, even the more I've just been going, Laura, you're doing a good job, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like just mm. really bringing that compassion back in. So for people listening, that's what I want to offer too, is just the reminder of even if you're feeling anxious and even if you're stressed out from the pandemic and no matter what's happening, if you can offer yourself compassion for really what a great job you're doing in the middle of a pandemic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, just seeing all the goodness and taking like just present moment, like look at your kids playing and smiling or your partner across from you or the very good friend listening to you and just really let those present moments in with compassion. I love that. Mm. You're doing a good job. Thank you. You are too. (laughs) Thanks so much, Laura. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.